Beginning June 27th, we as a church family will be investing in our students in Tribe as they participate in the mission trip to Memphis, Tennessee. Today, the students will be in the lobby selling stock as a way that you can invest in their futures. This is one of many ways that we as a church look down the road, trusting that God will bring the increase as we invest in these students. These are the faces of the students you will be investing in. The goal this year is $3,000 for us to gather as we need to participate on the mission trip. As a representative of the tribe, we would like to thank you for your prayer support and for your financial support for this year's mission trip. How many of you have gone out and identified a neighbor, whether that's someone that is near you, maybe someone that you work with? How many of you had an opportunity to say, hey, who has God placed around me? And in doing that, I ask another question. How many of you have discovered that perhaps you are engaging or near an impossible neighbor? Maybe someone whom you're looking at and you're saying, there is just no way. They are way too different than I am. They have different beliefs than I do. Maybe you just are looking and you're saying, there's absolutely no hope. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage, and I think it's going to encourage our hearts to recognize that there are means and ways that we can engage our neighbors And oftentimes what we discover is we first engage in our own effort, and perhaps as we see in a moment that there's another way that we can be engaging our neighborhood and engaging those whom are around us. I want to ask a question this morning, and I want to just simply throw this out to you, and that is this, where do we start with that impossible neighbor? What might that look like? For some of us, that might be an individual who believes completely different than we do. Maybe you're looking and perhaps there's not necessarily a different belief, but you've engaged that individual and they're just impossible to get along with. You say white, they say black. You get where I'm coming from? Maybe you're looking at them and you've engaged them and you're looking at the marriage that they are in and you're saying there's absolutely no hope here. Maybe you're looking and you're seeing how they're rearing their kids and you're going, man, I would do it completely differently. Maybe you've engaged that neighbor and unfortunately you guys have had a conflict in the past and that conflict is so big that you're like, yeah, we're just not going to go there anymore. It's interesting because at times we will look and we will see that there are individuals that God will put in our life that are going to seem impossible. The story that we're going to pick up on in a moment, I think, is important for us to see because, interestingly enough, we're going to see a situation in which Jesus engages and brings about wonderful blessing, yet, interestingly enough, for that individual and for those around the individual whom we're going to see in a moment, the situation seems impossible. It seems like there's just no way that there's going to be change. There is no way that this individual is going to find freedom and to find peace in Christ. 
I want to take a moment too, and before we start, I also want to say that we're going to be looking at Mark 9, 14 through 29, and the story essentially is about the healing of a boy with an evil spirit. However, interestingly enough, I don't want to dive into this too quickly because right before that, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the transfiguration. We were talking about those moments on being on top of a mountain with God and wanting to stay there. And I don't blame you. I mean, if I had an opportunity to go climb a mountain and the next thing you know, I get up there and Jesus is standing before me, I would say, hey, I've arrived. Let's just stay here. Yet what we come to discover in the message a few weeks ago was, was that we must descend from the top of the mountain into the valley. Because where the valley lies is where ministry lies. Friends, as much as I want to tell you, I would love for all of us to stand on top of a mountain with God. We've not been created to stay there. We've been called to descend into the valley. And interestingly enough, we see the story where Jesus and the uh, individuals who were with him descend down from the mountain. And immediately, they're confronted with the situation that is before us. Jesus arrives, and they see that individuals are arguing. They're in sort of an embattled scene, and they're discussing what is going on. And that's where we pick up in our story this morning. Follow along with me. We're in Mark 9, 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with uh, wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciple asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? 
He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. We see an interesting scene here because what we discover is two completely opposite scenarios or situations that are going on as we travel through the gospel of Mark. Now we need to remember and recognize that all of the gospels are essentially presenting who Jesus is and reminding individuals of what Jesus has come to do, what he has done, and therefore what will be done because Jesus has come, died, risen from the grave, triumphed over sin and death, and now has ascended into heaven. The gospel writers essentially are saying, don't miss this, don't forget this, but also remember what Jesus has done to demonstrate indeed his power and his authority as God. But here's a situation. After being on essentially the best, most wonderful high with God, Seeing Jesus transfigured, seeing him in his glory, they come down the mountain and immediately they're confronted with a situation where they find the other disciples who have been left behind arguing with essentially the people in the crowd and the religious leaders of that day over a boy. Let's take a moment. I want to talk about this for just a minute. What about that boy? Now, interestingly enough, I would say that I think Jesus knows what's going on. When he asks these questions, I don't think Jesus is asking the question to get information that he doesn't know. I think he's, he's asking the question essentially to help people understand what's transpiring. And what does he ask? How long has the boy been like this? I think there's an important purpose in that. Because the response is what? From his childhood. Friends, I want to just throw out something to you, and this is what I want to say, particularly in these first couple of voices. Sometimes, in situations, individuals are going to look at scenarios and they're going to say, there's just no hope. There's just no hope for that person. There's, there's no way that that individual over there is going to, quote unquote, be fixed. And so what do we do? We essentially cast that person aside. We look at that person as different. We look at that neighbor as impossible. And that's the situation that essentially we are arriving at from his childhood. And so the point that I want to make with this is this, that some of those impossible neighbors, some of those people that you look at that might be rough around the edges, that might be beyond hope, that might be beyond what we think would be someone who could become a Christian, are hurting more than we can possibly imagine. I want to step in, and, and I, want to, I want to take a minute here. Now, in this, it's important to recognize that what's going on is, is Jesus is demonstrating his authority over the demonic realm. And we're going to dive into that in a moment. That's important to see. But what we also sometimes run over is just standing in the life of that father and that boy. Imagine you being a father with a son or a daughter 
and that they have some type of illness, some type of thing that is out of your control. You're doing everything you can as a loving mother, father, parent, whatever it might be, and your hands are tied. And this child from childhood, okay, we don't know exactly when, we don't know if it was exactly at the moment that they were born, but in their early years has now been possessed by this spirit that causes him to be mute to the point that this spirit is so violent that it wants to kill him by throwing him in fire or in water. Where would you be if you were that father? Would you be without hope? Would you say, I, I, I don't know what to do? There's nothing that I can do. Sometimes, friends, what I want to tell you is this, is those neighbors that are rough around the edges, those neighbors that are impossible, deep down inside, oftentimes what you discover, if you're willing just to continue to engage them lovingly, is the reason that they're impossible is because they're hurting way more than you can possibly imagine. Something in their life has gone on or is going on, and they are in pain. And the manner of what they're doing is, is they're using their tough exterior or that impossible side to essentially try to get through life, and yet they're hurting more than you can recognize. I want to just throw something out to all of you this morning. How many of you have ever engaged someone that is impossible? Okay, we're just going to throw that out. How did it go when you first engaged them? How many of you have found some people to be the most sweet, loving, wonderful individuals that were impossible after you engaged them? Time and time again. Sometimes, friends, it takes moving forward and engaging, but I'm also going to take a moment and I'm going to show you a way that we can engage that I think often we neglect or we overlook. And that's what we're going to see here in just a minute. Sometimes our neighbors are hurting more than we can possibly imagine. I want to take a minute and I just want to tell you, uh, it's very interesting as a pastor in Panora, Iowa. Lovingly, I'm going to tell you, you drive into Panora and it's a beautiful town. You come out of Des Moines or you come out of Omaha and you come into Panora and there's these wonderful signs, you know, home of Panorama and, and, and Panora and welcome to the lake and you look and there's these beautiful uh, sort of town and then you come to the lake and there's this beautiful lake scene and all of these wonderful homes there and oftentimes people think, wow, we've arrived. And I'm not saying that Panora is a bad place to live. I love where we live, but I'm going to tell you this. As a pastor, I can tell you, as beautiful as this place is, as sort of peaceful and homey as it might look, as sort of an area where everybody must say, gosh, nothing should ever go wrong there. There are a lot of people that are hurting more than we can possibly imagine here in the greater area of Panora and Guthrie County. And sometimes those individuals whom God might place in our path can look to be impossible before us. But I also want to take a minute 
I want to show you something right in the transition of kind of verse 18a to 18b. We look and we see, essentially, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Let's take a minute and let's think about this. Sometimes we think that that impossible neighbor is the problem and we must fix them. What do I mean by that? Friends, sometimes when we look at the situation that God places us in, when we look at those individuals who might be rough around the edges, who, are, who might think differently than we do, immediately what we do is we go to into essentially our own strength mode, don't we? We think it's our job to do something about them and that they need to be fixed. A couple of quick things here. First and foremost, we're going to see in a moment the reason that the disciples can't do that is, is they forget a fundamental aspect, particularly in this situation, which is prayer. They move into their own mode. They move into sort of their own aspect. We're going to do this. We're going to do this in our own strength. We're going to do this by our own ability, by our own intellect, by our own whatever it might be. And they can't do it. But also what we forget is this. How many of us are looking sort of essentially at the temporal aspect, that difficult neighbor, right? Whatever the situation is, whatever the challenge might be on a temporal level, and so we become what? Engaged or embittered at that individual. And we completely forget that there's something far greater that's going on, which is what's happening within the spiritual realm. Sometimes that neighbor that's difficult we want to go to them and we want to become embittered or angered with them or we want to just say, we're going to tie our hands, we're not going to do anything. And we forget that that impossible neighbor isn't our enemy. Our enemy is Satan and the dark realms of the spiritual world. I want to take a minute and I want to talk about this for a minute. Sometimes we think that the impossible neighbor is a problem and that we must fix them. But we also have to see this, that there is an enemy. There is an enemy. But it's not your impossible neighbor. I want to ask a loving, simple question of all of us right now. Through this past year, through what individuals have experienced with COVID, through what individuals have experienced with obviously very different opinions about where our government should go and where our country should head, how many of you have become embittered to someone who has a different opinion than you or votes differently than you or thinks differently about COVID than you? Can anybody raise their hand? Let's raise our hands. How many of us have become embittered to those individuals? Let's raise our hands. How many of us have actually done something different than rather than becoming embittered to them, we've gone and actually prayed for them?
we engage the temporal, we engage what's right before us, and we miss out on one of the greatest blessings that we have, which we're going to discover in a moment, is to step back and to engage in prayer for those people. There is an enemy, but it isn't your impossible neighbor. Friends, right now, I want to tell you that I think that the enemy is laughing. I think the enemy is saying, hey, I've got them right where I want them. I've got them so confused. They're looking at one another. They're arguing with each other. They're telling the other one is wrong. They're to a point where they can't even hold civil conversations anymore. They're to a point when someone disagrees with them, what do they do? They just block them on Facebook and they're done. They blurt out what they want to say. They say their piece and when somebody says something different, they get mad, they call them a name and the other person calls them a name and the next thing you know, they just block each other out. Friends, what I want to tell you lovingly is this. I have those moments too, but we're not called to block people out. We're not called just to remove them if they disagree with us. We're called to engage them. We're called to go to them in love with the gospel. We're called to be salt and light to the world. And in those moments when it's challenging, what we're going to discover is one way that we engage that, one way that we do that is we recognize that there's a spiritual realm and that there's an opportunity for us to triumph over that through prayer. There is an enemy, but it's not your impossible neighbor. I want to take a moment. I want to just read from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and that is this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. How many of us go to God recognizing the strength of God's mighty power rather than, excuse me, <clears throat> moving in our own strength first? What's our natural inclination? Do we take a step back and say, God, we're going to look to you, we're going to trust in what you're doing? How many of us put on the full armor of God? so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Friends, how many of us recognize that we are in a spiritual battle right now? Now, God is triumphant. I'm not concerned about that. I know in the end that God wins and praise God for it. But do we realize that we are in a spiritual battle and we are driving, essentially, to gain territory for God? Or do we just think that these things are happening on a temporal level and we're missing what's going on behind the scenes, which ultimately is at the root of what's transpiring around us? It's the root of what's transpiring in our country. It's the root of what's transpiring for those individuals whom we come in contact with that don't know the Lord. But lovingly, too, how many of us get mad at them and we recognize, oh, well, you know, why can't they figure it out? Why do they believe differently? Do we realize that the reason that they do is not because it's their fault, it's because they have scales from their eyes that need to be removed? And so rather than looking at them and rather than blocking them or rather than belittling them, rather than just pushing them aside, do we look at that and say, you know, yeah, this is hard. 
This is a challenge. This individual is completely different than what I believe, that what I think is right, what I know to be right in Scripture. But rather than engaging them and getting angry and upset with them, do we just say, you know what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They have skills over their eyes, and the manner of how to engage this is to love that individual. Now, I'm not saying to just affirm them. I'm not saying to say, oh, it's fine to do whatever it is that you do. But it's also not fine just to block them. Friends, I want to say this, and and it really is a challenge to us. Oftentimes, and I'm not going to give this specific situation, but oftentimes what I see in our culture, particularly today, is that when there's an individual, right, whom is essentially against the Christian faith, right, they make fun of it, they say something negative toward it, I'm seeing Christians move forward and say, you know what, because that person is making fun of the Christian faith, I'm going to block them. I'm going to remove them. We should just get rid of them. And lovingly, here's what I want to tell you. That is the absolute worst response we can give. And here's why. Jesus never, ever, ever blocks somebody because they disagree with him. He goes to the cross to die for them so that they might have eternal life. Friends, don't block them. Pray for them. Go to God and say, I don't like what they're saying. Trust me, there are individuals out there that I don't like the content of what they're saying. I don't like what they're doing. They do anger me. And my natural gut reaction is just to say, you know what, just block them. They're beyond hope. And then you know what God does? He says, Trevor, I want you to go back to when you were in junior high and high school and in college, and I guarantee you there were people that looked at you and said, he's beyond hope. And I want you to go back and I want you to know that there are people that were praying for you. And I want you to go back and I want you to know that the more people that were praying with you, you were probably more impossible to them than anybody else. Friends, this isn't a blocking culture. This isn't just a get rid of. This isn't if you don't agree with me, if you don't fall in line with my Christian beliefs, that I'm just going to remove you or you're going to be beyond hope. Because lovingly, I'm going to tell you this, every single one of us in here, on our own strength, in our own ability, in our own fortitude, in our own intellect, in our own pride, in our own righteousness, in our own whatever it might be, is beyond hope. All of us. And our hope 
is found in the one who was on the cross and died for us. And what did he do before he went to the cross? He prayed. And what did he pray about? He prayed for us. If anybody had right to block, if anybody had to see an impossible situation, it was Jesus. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what we battle here. That's what we should be seeing. That should be our natural reaction when we look out to that impossible neighbor or neighbors or neighboring situation. Whatever it might be. Whatever might God put before us. And lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. We don't exist individually to have a singular relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Christ is important. Please hear me on that. We must come to Christ by faith in him. But oftentimes, what we do is we then say, great, I've arrived, it's about me, it's about my comfort, it's about what I need, it's about just coming to church, hearing a message, saying amen every once in a while, singing some worship songs, feeling good about myself, and then going home. And that's not the Christian faith at all. It's about going out and engaging the world and finding those impossible neighbors and then loving them and praying for them as we go about our mission, which is to engage the world, not to retreat from it. There is an enemy, friends, but it's not your impossible neighbor. Interestingly enough, we come to recognize, too, in verse 924 this. Sometimes when it comes to our possible neighbor, we believe nothing will ever change. And I get that. I get that there are individuals out there that perhaps you have been engaging for years, and you're like, there's just no way that this is ever going to change. And I want to take a minute, and I just want to show right here Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that an interesting statement? I think it's one of the most transparent statements by someone going to Jesus. I do believe, I want to believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Does anybody ever out there feel that way? Thank you for your honesty and your transparency. Because oftentimes, I think individuals come and they look and they say, oh, I believe, but they're not willing to say that there are those moments of unbelief, 
those moments where we wonder, those moments of, God, I need your aid to help me overcome what I see around me. Because what I see around me seems so hard, so difficult, that I believe, but Lord, I need you to help me overcome my unbelief. And a few things here I want to encourage you in. If you're in that situation, it doesn't mean that your faith is less. It doesn't mean that your faith is weak. It doesn't mean that you're a second-rate Christian. It means you're human. It means you're human. Because I think we all, in those moments, believe. I think we all look and believe the promises of Scripture. But there are those times when situations come up, whatever it might be, particularly for this individual whose son is struggling since childhood with a spirit that he has no ability to do anything about. And he looks and he says, I believe, but what I know of behind, it's causing me to have some unbelief. So I'm standing in faith, and I want you to help me overcome that. But we sometimes think nothing will ever change. I want to throw another question out to you, and if you want, you're welcome to raise your hand. I'm not saying you have to, but is anybody in or has been in a situation where they thought it was never going to change? You see, I, I love this because this is, this is real. There's, there's deep theology going on here, please. Hear me. The, the joy of what's going on here is to recognize that, holy cow, Jesus indeed is the Son of God because he has the authority to cast out demons. Okay? That's, that's important. But also in the, just the realness, the rawness of this story, we're seeing this identification that here's an individual struggling with something that they have gotten to a point where they're saying it is what it is and here's what I want to encourage you with there are going to be people that you're going to encounter it's going to be whether there's an illness whether it's maybe a relationship I've encountered times where I've, I've talked to people and, and, and they're like you know my marriage is a mess and, and they get to a point where they're like, it just, it, it just is what it is. It's just not going to change because that's what it's been. And lovingly, I just cry out and I say, it can change. It can be different. It can be good. I see individuals who are struggling. Maybe it's with uh, an aspect of, of work or maybe some past hurt, or some past whatever it might be, and they just settle in. And it's just, that's what it is. And then it causes them to just kind of view the world with, this is what it's going to be. And it taints who Jesus is, and what he can do, and how he can change and how he can transform, and how he can bring joy to our lives. Please hear me lovingly. What I want to tell you is joy is very different than happiness. They are two very, very different words. Jesus does not exist to make us happy. Jesus exists to bring joy to our hearts and to our lives in the sense that 
in those times where there is difficulty, because there will be, we have joy in knowing who our Savior is and what he has done and where our ultimate destiny is. The other thing, too, lovingly, that I want to tell you is when we go and we're real with people, when we go to them and we talk to them and we say, hey, you know what? I used to struggle with that. I used to have this. I used to have that in my life. And here's what God did. They immediately see that we're not perfect. They immediately see that it's okay to be imperfect. They immediately see to, and recognize that, hey, I can actually maybe identify with this person because perhaps the struggle that we went through is theirs as well. Has anyone ever been willing to go to someone and share with them their struggles? Thank you. Has anybody seen how that softens the individual who might be that impossible neighbor? We look, and he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then we move in and we see when Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And people were amazed. It's through the power of Christ that this occurs. I want to go back up, and I apologize, I missed this, but I think it's important for us to see. We talk about loving our neighbor, and I was talking earlier about sort of coming to Jesus and then it being individual. And this is something that I think will sort of shed light, and again, I just went right over it, so that's my error. But John Stott says this, he says, social responsibility becomes an aspect not of Christian mission only, but also of Christian conversion. Think about that for a minute. Social responsibility becomes an aspect not of Christian mission only, but also of Christian conversion. It is impossible to be truly converted to God without being thereby converted to our neighbor. I'm going to let that soak in for a minute. What is he saying here? He's telling us that if we've come to Christ, if we've truly been converted, if we have had that born-again experience and Jesus with, is within us, it's impossible for us to, to neglect our neighbor. Now, I'm not judge or jury here, please, okay? I'm not telling you, you know, hey, if you're not talking to your neighbor, that means that you're not a believer. But what I am telling you is this. Lovingly, if you're not concerned about your neighbor, if you're not praying for your neighbor, if you're not looking to bring Christ to others, if it's just about you and your belief and your time with Jesus, I would say it's time to check your heart. I'm not going to go as far and I'm not going to say that you're not a believer, but I would seriously, lovingly go to you and say, check your heart.
Social responsibility becomes an aspect not of Christian mission only, but also of Christian conversion. When we've been confronted with the gospel, when Christ is in our lives, there is a change, and it should drive us to want to go and love and share Christ with other people. Okay. Going back in and diving to where we were, we've talked about sort of this impossible aspect that we think is never going to change. And then finally, what I want to encourage you in is this. Has anybody actually said you know what, I'm going to just give it one more shot, or I'm just going to go and I'm going to move forward, or I'm going to engage them one more time for Christ and it's gotten worse before it gets better. This is where I want to encourage you with, don't stop before you start. Don't stop before you start. Start with Christ and getting on your knees in prayer. And this is the idea that I want to encourage you with. How many of you have ever experienced sort of that once bit, twice shy aspect? Okay. You know, I tried to engage this person. It didn't go well. This is how it ended up. This is what went on. You know, we're now neighbors and we put up a big old fence and we never talk to each other anymore. So why should I go do any? I tried and look where it got me. Okay, And so then, you move forward in life, and you're in another situation where you come up against an impossible neighbor, and you remember what occurred before, and you say, not going there, not going to do it. This is where I encourage you, don't stop before you start. How do we engage? And this is what we're driving toward. We look, and interestingly enough, Jesus commands the Spirit out and never to enter in again. And here's what's interesting, okay? Watch, watch this. We, we, we drive through this story, but I want to just kind of take a moment. And Jesus says, hey, I command you to leave and never come in him again, right? And it's just this peaceful scene, right? Just boop. No, what's next? What happens right after that? Watch this. The spirit shrieked. Okay, I won't do that because I don't want to blow our microphone, but convulsed him violently and came out. Now, I don't know how long that took. I don't know if this was, you know, 30 seconds, five seconds, or whatever. But think through this for a minute. Jesus commands the spirit out. And then all of a sudden, the spirit shrieks, convulses the boy. What would you think is the natural reaction of the people around Jesus? What are you, like, what are you doing? It's getting worse. Right? Stop! Don't, don't! Right? And here's where I want to go with this. Our natural inclination sometimes when we work for Jesus is we're going to get essentially that shrieking spirit that's going to convulse the person. And we might say, oh, that's, that's far enough. Oh, man, I've, I've really muddied the waters here. Keep going. Because it can and will get better. Because here's what I want to tell you. We have authority over the dark principalities that are there. We do. Through Jesus Christ. Okay, hear me on that. We have authority, but it's through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who has the authority. 
But I also will tell you this, that the enemy isn't just going to go easily. They will, they have to, they've been commanded by God to. But oftentimes, when we are engaging in that spiritual battle to gain ground for our neighborhood, for those people around us, and we are moving in that direction, and we're going to see the key to this in a minute, we're going to have to recognize that oftentimes what will happen is, is that when, when things get, here, here's where I'm going, when things get bad, when things get tough, keep going. Keep going. Because that is where a breakthrough through Christ will occur. Don't stop. And how do we do this? Well, this is, interestingly enough, all this occurs. Everything happens, and people look, and they're like, wow, Jesus was able to drive this spirit out. We see that this kid convulses, and what's the natural reaction? Before, you killed him. The kid's like, to everybody, visually, dead on the ground. And then what does Jesus do? Reaches down his hand, lifts the kid up, and he is free. This little section here I love because we, we jump over it to drive to the point, the theological point, which is important that Jesus has authority over demons, and therefore he is God. But we miss what's going on on the temporal level, which is people are looking and they're going, doesn't look so good to me. And then Jesus reaches down and the kid is fine. And then afterwards, his disciples go to him and they say, why couldn't we drive him out? Because you didn't pray. Because you didn't pray. I think it's important, and sometimes, you know, a lot of times individuals will look at this and they'll say, well, what, what kind of demon was it? Right? You know, was it this kind or was it that kind? And so they begin to kind of try to identify, well, if it's this kind of demon, then we need to pray. If it's that kind of demon, then we don't need to pray. That's not the point. The point is, you didn't pray. And I think what he's doing is, is he's showing them the reality of our lives that we need to look at, which is this. Don't stop before you start. Start with Christ and get on your knees in prayer. Now, where am I going on this? First and foremost, what's our natural inclination when we encounter a difficult neighbor? To do it in our own strength. So don't do it in our own strength. Go to Christ first. And then go to Christ in prayer. And I want to say get on your knees in prayer. Here, you can take this literally if you want to. I'm, I'm doing it more of an emphasis. Please don't think that if you're praying however you want to pray, if it's in the car, if it's driving to work, if you like to go out like I do and walk or ride your bike or if you have a prayer room or whatever it is, right, that if you're not on your knees, that you can't communicate with God. 
Okay? The point of getting on your knees and where I'm going with that is a submissive aspect to him. Recognizing, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need you and your encouragement and your power and your authority to do so. And then go and pray. John Piper says this, and I love this. Prayer is the open admission. It's the open and honest admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Friends, what do we do when we come with an impossible neighbor that God might put in our lives? First and foremost, please remember that sometimes that impossible neighbor is hurting more than we can possibly imagine. Also know, and please don't let the enemy trick you in this, the impossible neighbor is not the problem and we don't have to fix them. There is an enemy, friends, but it's not our impossible neighbor. And sometimes, when it comes to that impossible neighbor, we might think that nothing will ever change. Don't give up. Don't stop before you start. Start with Christ and get on your knees in prayer. That drives us to essentially what we're talking about this morning is this. With that impossible neighbor, start with Christ and the power of prayer. I want to take a minute. We have a few moments here, and what I'd like to do is simply this. Um, does anyone have an impossible neighbor? We're not going to you know, say them by name, if that makes sense, but has this struck a chord lo lovingly? You're not going to hurt my feelings. Has this struck a chord with anybody out there? Yeah? Okay. I see some people raising hands. Great. Praise God for it. All right. I want to take a minute, and what I want to do is this. These past several weeks, we've been talking about engaging our neighborhood. And we've been talking about identifying our neighbors around us. And that could be the people that live around us. That could be the people that God puts in place in our work. That could be the people that for whatever reason, and please hear me on this. Has anybody had an experience over these past couple of weeks where somebody you haven't seen for a while, you just start bumping into them everywhere? If you do, I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's providence. I think God is saying something to you. And in this, what I want to do for a minute is I want to take a minute, and this is what I want all of us to do, is to pray. Because oftentimes we forget that great opportunity and the great power that is in prayer. Please hear me. When you're praying for that individual, it might not seem like anything is going on temporally, but in the spiritual world, what you are doing is, is you are breaking down the walls and the barriers that are there that the enemy has put up to try to cause that individual to not have an opportunity to come to Christ. We don't save. I don't ever want you to think that we are the ones that save. 
but we do have the ability to break down and soften those walls to where we can engage somebody for Jesus through prayer. And my question is, how many of us are engaging in that on a regular basis? And lovingly, I wonder if situations might change if before just going forward, we step back and say, you know what? The way that I'm going to move on this is I'm just gonna take time and I'm gonna pray for that person. Earnestly and honestly, even though they anger me, even though they're difficult. So let's take a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's start with that today. Father, this morning, uh, as we're looking at this story, first and foremost, we're grateful that indeed we do have our Savior Jesus Christ. We're grateful for that deep theological truth that indeed by doing what Jesus is doing, by driving out a demon, he is demonstrating that he is and has authority over the spiritual realm because indeed he is God in the flesh. May we never miss that. But also, Lord, may we recognize, too, that often in this story, there are situations in our lives where we might think it's just impossible. Nothing is ever going to change. There's just no way that we can do it. And Lord, that's where we say, help us, because we believe, but help us in our unbelief. And Father, in that, may that drive us to a point where we recognize that it's not in our own strength, it's not in our own ability, but we turn to Christ we turn to Christ for his strength, for his authority. And then, as we've said before, we get on our knees, metaphorically speaking, we submit to you and we pray. Father, in that heart, we take a moment. We just pray for those individuals out there that might be that impossible neighbor, that impossible situation. And right now, Lord, we just recognize that you are the one that has authority to begin to soften the walls, to break down those spiritual barriers. And we pray that in that, Lord, you would do so through the mighty power and presence of your name. That whatever might be holding those individuals, whatever might be causing them to uh, want to turn away from the, the gospel, the good news, you would bring, begin just to, to break down those barriers. Father, we pray for whatever pain might be in their life whether recognized or unrecognized. We pray, Lord, that in that, that you would enable us to humbly go forward and love those individuals, to love the unlovable, to continue to move forward to them. And Father, may we recognize that in doing so, kind of similar in this story, Lord, when, when, when you begin to gain ground, when you begin to soften those walls, may we recognize that it might get harder before it gets easier. That, that those principalities within these individuals might kind of hold on or dig in deeper to them because they have that person. And Father, help us to realize that in those moments we've actually started to shake and move. You've started to break down what is in them. And so, Father, help us to continue to move forward in prayer, to continue to say, Lord, continue to work in the hearts and lives of these individuals. And with that, Lord, ultimately we pray that you would, as you say in your word, continue to be that mighty, prowling lion, the one who goes after people with a passion and a pursuit that is unrelentless, 
And Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would see life and light. Father, help us to be reminded that indeed the Christian experience is not an individual one, it is corporate. Help us be reminded indeed that our hearts should cry out for our neighbors. Our hearts should cry out to bring the gospel to them. Father, help us to pray. Help us to identify those that are in need. And Lord, may we recognize that one of the greatest opportunities we have is to go in prayer on their behalf. Father, we pray that these individuals would be blessed, would be encouraged, would be loved, and that ultimately they would experience the love of your mercy, grace, and salvation through our Savior, Jesus. We ask these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you be kind enough, we'll stand and we'll sing our closing hymn.